0: Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com/slash odyssey.
1: Hi, listeners. Just a quick warning before you listen to today's episode. This one deals with extremely graphic content and is intended for a mature audience only. Coming up.
2: This girl was being sexually assaulted at a hotel room on multiple nights, so any time that she could have been rescued from that sooner would have been better.
1: For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime.
2: There were so many safeguards that were supposed to be in place, but didn't work.
1: A 15-year-old girl from North Texas went missing from a Dallas Mavericks game in April. Investigators say she was the victim of sex trafficking. The parents of a 15-year-old girl who disappeared from a Dallas Mavericks game want accountability now from the Dallas police, the Mavs, and the Oklahoma City Hotel where she was later found. They say that someone could have prevented the trafficking that their child went through.
2: Surveillance footage showed her leaving with a man. Zeke Fortenberry, the family's attorney, says that was her first contact with him. On April 18th, Oklahoma City police found her in a hotel room where she'd been advertised and sold.
1: Experts say sex traffickers are in a constant cycle of seeking out victims, honing in on those who appear to be vulnerable. And there are red flags that we can all be aware of.
2: When a 40-something-year-old man walks in with a 15-year-old girl and rents multiple hotel rooms, and then there's traffic coming in and out of those rooms, those are red flags.
0: Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy?
1: I'm joined by Morgan Young, a weekend anchor and general assignment reporter for WFAA in Dallas, Texas. Morgan, thanks for being here with us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me,
1: Morgan. I, I know you've worked on this this story and, and related stories for a while now, but I'd like to sort of get an idea from you how you first got started looking into sex trafficking rings in Texas, and then we'll get into some specific cases and, and what you've learned.
2: Sure. So this all really kind of for me, you know, started with. And a community meeting that I went to. Um, you know, of course, there are meetings all the time. There happened to be one. I, I think I was off that day um, and it was around the corner from where I live in Dallas and, and it was this meeting. It was kind of after the um, the big uh, Gabby Petito headline that we had been following for forever that, of course, uh, was a missing woman uh, who, who was found and it was like all these layers with her husband and all these things. But it also really sparked the conversation about the lack of coverage for black and brown girls that go missing. So this event was held to kind of discuss that, what that looks like, what the issues are in North Texas. So I was really interested in that. I went to the meeting um, with an executive producer uh, that I was working with and we just sat there and we went and listened. Um, And it was really startling to hear how big of an issue this is um, in our community. And, you know, it was one of those things, you know, human trafficking is one of those things that you, everybody kind of knows it's happening, right? We watch movies about it. We watch TV shows about it. You kind of know, but, um, Nobody really wants to talk about it. And nobody really knows what it looks like. And you kind of, you know, oh, that's horrible for them or horrible there. And and kind of sitting in this meeting and realizing, oh, it's not for them. And it's not over there. It's right here. um, And this is what it looks like. And it looks nothing the way that we think that it looks like. I was really taken aback by that. Um, and I just made a lot of contacts there and really just started asking questions and asking people to share their stories with me um, and was really blown away by what I found.
1: You you cover some cases, one in particular that I want to talk to you about, about a a North Texas teenager who went missing from a Dallas Mavericks game. Can you tell us about that?
2: Sure. So interestingly enough, uh, this happened uh, in early April. Uh, This, the teenager went missing on April 8th. And at that time, we were working, we were between trafficking pieces. I had really been headfirst in this research. Um, we had a story that aired in February. We were getting ready for this story that it was gonna air in May. And so at that time I'm doing all this research. And so we have this story about a 15 year old girl who was at a Dallas Mavericks game uh, who went to the bathroom right before halftime and then just never came back to her seat. And there was uh, surveillance footage that showed her leaving the stadium with a man. And you know, just because I guess of where I was in that space, of working on different things, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, th- this this is human trafficking. This is what this is. It was the first thing that I thought. Uh, the next day or, or a couple days later after the story comes out, it, may, it was probably about a week actually, um, we get this report from Oklahoma City Police that this teenager was found in Oklahoma City at a hotel and had been trafficked. And so it's just that kind of gut-wrenching reality that yeah this is happening and and it can happen to anyone any place Um, and so we kind of you know we did follow-up stories on that and I, I talked to a woman that I'd interviewed for an initial story and she said the same thing that I felt she said as soon as I saw that story I knew what that was and it's just horrifying
1: and thankfully in that situation she was located not not too long after she disappeared but in reading about it you found that her parents identified her through photos that had been posted online in sex advertisements. It's just awful to even try to wrap your mind around that.
2: Well, yeah. And, and you know, our headline in doing that story this week was 11 days. Um, 11 days does not sound like a long time, but it absolutely is. Um, this this teenager in that time, was taken across state lines, um, posted for advertisements online and sold. Um, the attorney for her family says that she was trafficked. She was assaulted on multiple nights at the hotel where she was found. So, you know, it may not seem like a long time, but it's more than enough time for something traumatic and horrifying to happen in cases like these.
1: Morgan, along the way, you've met John Perez. He works with the North Texas Trafficking Task Force. Can you tell us about him? And then I want to talk to you about one particular case where they went in someone's home and found some paintings.
2: Sure. So Agent John Perez, uh, he does lead the North Texas Trafficking Task Force. He's been an agent um, with the Department of Homeland Security and Dallas-based Homeland Security investigations for about 15 years. And he is so, oh, he's just a well of knowledge. He has studied this. He knows this in and out. Um, He's dedicated his work to this. Uh, meeting him- we we had about a 45 minute conversation and just listening to the stories that he had the cases that they're working on all in north texas um he has such a a good grip on what trafficking looks like how it's done who the different players in this who the traffickers are who the victims are who's purchasing commercial sex because you know you don't have a market for something like this if you don't have someone demanding it uh and you know talking to him was very eye opening um and again, just adding more layers to how big of a problem this is.
1: And, and then in this one case that he talks about, he went into someone's home. I think actually police had been fo- called to the home, and you can set us straight on that, but found these paintings that included images that were basically clues that sex trafficking were involved with the person living there.
2: Sure. So the, the situation with the paintings was almost kind of an afterthought in the interview that we were doing. And I think, you know, the reason that this came into the conversation was because the misunderstanding that some people have is that this is some like greasy thing that's happening in the corners of like, this is a culture. Trafficking is a culture. Traffickers have a culture. And so with the paintings that we showed in that piece, uh, this happened a couple of years ago. There was a gentleman in uh, in a a town that's a little about 45 minutes north of, well, 30 minutes north of Dallas called Plano, a suburb, if you will, but it's its own town. Um, and this man lived in Plano in a house and had called the Plano Police Department because someone had stolen jewelry from him. I believe Agent Perez said it was like $150,000 worth of jewelry. So he calls Plano police. Uh, police show up at his house uh, and they start searching his house. And initially, they're kind of looking around and the way that this was you know kind of explained is they're looking and they see these paintings and, and they, they keep they just they keep digging right they, they of course they do the report he's demanding a report that someone stole from him but they keep digging they find out that this man um, has guns in his home. And he uh, is a felon. He's not supposed to have guns in his home. And then they keep looking, and they did see these paintings. And there are there are these huge canvases. Um, and, and you know, it's like when you go to an art gallery the, the big the big gallery paintings that you see. There were dozens of them hanging in his home. And uh, they called in. They kept investigating, and they called in uh, federal agents. And you know, HSI has the federal agents that come in and who are experts at this. And they seized them. And they have these paintings, and there are just. There were dozens hanging on the walls. We saw about six or seven of them. Some of them are at a U.S. attorney's office as evidence, and some of them, Agent Perez said, they had to destroy because they were so graphic. But these paintings, um, you know, you've got one where it looks like a woman, it's kind of like an aerial view, um, overhead view of a woman handing a man cash. And you can see her nails that are long and they're painted. And she's got on shoes that look like anybody who knows fashion well looks like a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes. Um, And then he's got on what looks like Gucci loafers and, you know, kind of handing over cash. There's a painting um, with, um, uh, we didn't put this one on air, but it, it kind of looks like a woman, kind of like character caricatured into like a Betty Boop kind of figure and she's you know fully undressed uh, on a bed kind of like looking over her shoulder there's one um, with like the back of a woman and it's like she's stitched up in the back with a spider web on her shoulder you've got the Dallas skyline with um, the road signs that got had this man's name his name is um, Wayne Edward Bearden you've got Wayne B on there you know there, there were just so many there was one like in the woods with a sign posted on a tree that said choosing season which is like some sling or, you know, it, it talks about, according to Agent Perez, it talks about the time when victims choose up, choose a different trafficker because the trafficker that they're with is more abusive than someone else that they can go to. So it was really, it's very sobering to see, but to think that this person had these paintings made to hang in their home, to glorify what it is that they're doing.
1: John Perez also talks about the language that sex traffickers use often, eloquent, grandiose, the the allure for oftentimes a young person is, is a fancy lifestyle.
2: And and, you know, it's interesting too, because that goes hand in hand with who is vulnerable to this. If you're talking about someone who has never had anything, who is already in a bad situation, who is poor, who has never had anything, who has never had anything expensive or never had anything glamorous or, you know, dreams of this lifestyle of having luxury items and driving a nice car. And you've got this person saying to you, I can give you all those things that that's 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 where it kind of those two things meet and it's interesting because as we've had these convictions in north texas something i do cuz you know i'm a reporter i get on instagram and i look up these people that are being convicted and you see these instagram profiles of these men flashing jewelry and expensive cars this one man had a lighter with his face all over it like this this promise of um, more and items and things. You know, we interviewed Becca Charleston for this story, who is a survivor, and she said she remembers because they use other women to recruit. She remembers, you know, going to what she called a multi escort car call. Excuse me, so multiple women come to this, and she's talking to this one girl she who has a, what she called a hoopty and who had bruises on her. And she said, you know, I'm driving a Mercedes, so I recruited this girl, saying, you know, you're driving this car and you've got all these bruises. My um, pimp is what she called him. gave me a Mercedes. You know, it's all about promising. You know, just what appears to be a luxurious lifestyle when you're already in a vulnerable place that can be very appealing.
1: And he also talks about just the the concept of of seeing someone on the street who is a sex worker, and and you see those people in front of you, but what you don't see are the people around the corner who are are the sex traffickers.
2: Absolutely, um, you know and he, he kind of spoke to that in the context of law enforcement changing their view of this, changing um, the way that they approach, they approach uh, victims, and not just kind of writing them off as, as sex workers, as prostitutes. Um, you know another thing that Becca Charleston said just she, she was trafficked for ten years, and she said two things that really struck me. One, if you had asked her while she was being trafficked if she was a victim of sex trafficking, she would have said no. She said, I, I fully believe that these were choices that I had made that got me here. I was so mentally trapped that I believed that this happened to me because of me. And the other thing that she says is that very few people, she's like, we have this concept of choice. If you're a prostitute, if you're a sex worker, you chose this. She said, in her experience, it is there's a very slim minority of people who are in sex work who actually choose to be there. And she said the people who are predominantly there with a choice, are predominantly privileged white women. That is what she said. Um, And she said, those are your porn stars, the people who are known by name, who have some kind of fame. But she said a majority of the people that she was in contact with, that she came face-to-face with, were predominantly black and brown women and people who you may be out there doing this, but they don't have options. They don't think they have any options. She said she didn't see herself living a life where she wasn't doing this. And even though she thought she had a choice, in hindsight, someone asked her, well, what would have happened if you had said you didn't want to do it? And she said, that's laughable. There's not a choice. So you don't have a choice.
1: Uh, I'm glad you bring that up because I was going to ask, there are certainly people who have chosen to do sex work, but uh, trafficking. And maybe my question is, wh- what is it? How do you define it outside of somebody who's chosen to do something like this, outside of someone who's gone out and, and looked for them and, and offered them a fancy lifestyle, money and everything else?
2: Sure. I, you know it's interesting, and I won't pretend to be an expert in this space. But one thing, when I've been reading these these documents and these court documents and the charges that come down, the word co- coercion it comes up a lot. And I think you know, I think, and something that makes this difficult to go after, right, is that fine line. You know, first of all, in the state of Texas. Purchasing commercial sex is a felony. It became a felony last year. So whether you're here by choice or not, um, it, it is a felony in the state of Texas as of September of 2021. Taking a step further and looking at, you know, trafficking versus, you know, you choosing to be here, it's, it's it's difficult, especially when we're talking about someone who's 15 years old or we're talking about someone who has mentally been conditioned. You know, Becca Charleston said she felt like she had a choice. She didn't see herself as a victim. And I think that's that gray area that makes it difficult to separate the two and make, cause of course you will have the people who are, you know, being beaten and who are clearly, you know, in these horrible situations and, and yes, they can testify, but you know, there are some people, Becca Charleston did not go to prison for prostitution. She went to prison for tax evasion and they got her on that charge, hoping that if they put her in prison, she would basically rat out her trafficker and she did it so that you have to think about the mental bondage in that space so i i don't think that there is a hard clear fast line there i think it's a gray area and i think what law enforcement is doing and really trying to do and trying to you know, get smarter about and dedicate more resources to is navigating that gray space and making sure that they are putting the victims first, whether victims know they're victims or not.
1: And in the case of Becca Charleston, you juxtapose this image of her. I, I believe it's a, a mugshot. And then there's also this image of her, I believe, in a cheerleader's uniform, and, and what happened to her and she says all of a sudden at the age of 17 she found herself in a car being told how much to ask for certain acts sex acts and just the 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 shift in her life is is monumental and disturbing
2: it is monumental and disturbing. And what's interesting about Becca Charleston is like, yes, she had, she has these pictures and she's a cheerleader and she's all these things. But when you pull back a layer a little bit deeper, I asked her, you know, was there something that, you know, we talk about trauma and she says, well, yeah. When she was in elementary school, she was sexually assaulted while at a friend's sleepover. Um, by I believe she said her friend's brother. Then she's in middle school and goes to church sleepaway camp. She sneaks out of camp um, and is sexually assaulted again as a teenager. And she said, I never, you know, went to tell my family about this because I'm thinking this shouldn't have, this happened to me because I snuck out of sleepaway camp. And I think the conversation here is really, really important. Um, when we talk about shame and we talk about women and we talk, because this this time you think about, you know, being 15 years old or something like this happens to you at that age, her initial reaction is to blame herself. And when you start a spiral of shame like that, it's hard to not have that as part of your identity. And the reason I, all these traffickers go after women, they go after vulnerable women, they build on this shame and it gets so thick and so deep that they're saying they don't, they they don't think that they can get out of it. And I think, you know, it it is a problem that, you know, in the story of Becca Charleston, maybe had she felt more comfortable, maybe had she felt that she had a situation where she could get that healing and get that support, maybe things would have been different. She's reconciled with her family. They're in a good place. They were visiting her in prison. Everything's good. But this is layered. And this is an identity. This is in shame. This is in the way that, you know, women handle confidence, the way teenage girls see themselves. It it is all wrapped together and it's layered.
1: Morgan Young and WFAA in Dallas, really important conversation. And thanks so much for spending some time talking to us about it. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. Be sure to check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.